world music. And that term in itself is kind of an awful term because you know why. Um, <laughs> All music on same planet, same world. World music <laughs> might as well just be our music. music. Is world music. Like, come on, how pretentious <laughs> are we? Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Welcome, folks. We're on episode Lucky 13. Been streaming this thing for over a year now, and I appreciate you listening. I hit a milestone this past month. I said no thank you to my first advertising offer. It was weird. I don't want to say too much about it, but if I were ever to allow advertising on the podcast, I'd want it to be for something I actually endorse or use or agree with, I guess. This was, um, just, it just felt icky. Besides, I'm happy with the way this is set up right now, uh, which if you don't know, is that here in part one, we only hear shorter snippets of the songs and we hear excerpts from the interviews. But if you subscribe to my Patreon page for a dollar a month, you'll get access to part two of every episode, as well as all the new original music that I make. Uh, best deal around. You can't beat it. And if everyone who listens to this show actually pledged a dollar, I'd never have to even consider advertisers. Not for a hot second. If you've been enjoying the show, please put your money where your ears are and subscribe to me at patreon.com slash Seth Haran. Thanks. Tim Snyder. To most of the world... His primary title is Violin Warrior in the band 
Naco and Medicine for the People. But to people who know me, especially the Gen Xers among us, you might remember Tim from when we shared stages together back in the day, on the road, during his time as the leader of a young band called Soul Jibe. He is an immensely talented singer, songwriter, guitarist. He plays a multitude of instruments with pretty savage proficiency. But indeed, he is best known and most revered for his jaw-dropping prowess on the violin. Tim is living one of the most interesting journeys I've encountered. Uh, While we recorded this episode, I was struck more than once by how the stories he told me felt like the chapters to a book. I mean, if his life uh, keeps unfolding the way it has been, I'm pretty sure you'll be reading that book one day. I know few people who've experienced the music life from as many perspectives as Tim has. He started as a band leader, and he built his band up to full-time, multi-regional success around America. Then he went solo, and he made his mark up and down the West Coast as a one-man violin looping show. And now he finds himself in one of the fastest rising acts I've seen in recent musical history, but as a sideman this time, but happier than I've ever seen him, which really intrigued me. Tim is a passionate person, and he has a lot to say. Here in part one of the podcast, I focused only on a few parts of our conversation where we talked about his career and his journey, but there is so much more. He's a fascinating guy, and there's some pretty heavy stuff in part two. So, Again, I'd be grateful for your support, and I don't want to take on advertising, so I hope you'll check that out. One more thing before we dive in. Two minutes before our Skype call began, it started raining outside my home harder than it has rained in years. It was bizarre, and it went on for over an hour. You can hear the water slapping against my window in the background pretty consistently throughout our conversation, just so you don't think there's any weird static. All that said... Please enjoy my conversation with Tim Snyder. So my first time hearing the name Tim Snyder was when I came to Reno to record with Robert Gilmer. And he kept talking about this local band that was blowing up that he was working with called Jibe. (laughs) I forgot it used to be called Jibe. Jibe. <laughs> do, you, do you want to quickly start with Jibe and take us a little bit further on? Well, first of all, we thought that name was so cool at the time, uh, which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anyway, you know, I grew up playing classical violin, um, kind of teenage years, put it down for a while. In my years of not playing violin, I'd picked up guitar and learned about rock and roll and jazz and blues and you name it. I was exploring different things. And um, I think it first started with watching Dave Matthews band going, what's that thing? Oh, that's a violin. Oh, you can play violin outside of classical music. And then from there, I started diving into guys like John Luponti, Stefan Grappelli, Steph Smith, Regina Carter, and so many amazing violinists um, that are doing and have done cool things. So that kind of sparked this exploration for me. Um, when I was in high school, I met this dude, Milton Merlos, who's been, um, you know, a lifelong friend for me. We met right before this talent show was going on. He's a guitar player, um, plays flamenco guitar. And we wrote a song for this talent show, which we lost. But it was rigged. It was political, you know. 
it, it wasn't because we weren't the best because we were. Uh, but anyway. Glad you've been able to put that behind you. Yeah. <laughs> Trying. Um, <laughs> so anyways, we started, we started exploring music together. And um, he was really into flamenco music. And he showed me guys like Pacto de Lucia and Aldi Miola and, um, you know, Vicente Amigo. And it was like, whoa, what is this? And it was music that I felt so much passion involved. And I was like, I want to do this, man. So we started exploring that. Shortly after high school, we saved all our money. We worked for like six months. And then we went and lived in Spain for six months. And basically, like, lived like vagabonds. We ate one meal a day so we could spend our money on guitar lessons and to learn flamenco music. Like, dude, we have so many stories. We would hitchhike around Europe. <laughs> we, would, we would buy these cans of tuna and drain the oil and save it for cooking something else because we didn't want to buy oil. We, we would take plastic garbage bags and weave them together to make a shower curtain because we didn't have money to buy. Like we would actually, this is true. We would burn trash in a pot that we had in our kitchen on the windowsill because it was too cold to play. Like we couldn't move our fingers. So we'd go burn trash and have this fire by the window and we'd warm up our fingers and we'd run into the other room. We'd put the sleeping bag over our head and practice until our fingers got too cold again. And then we'd go do this. And that's like how we lived. Wait a minute. So am I also to assume that it was the dead of winter in Spain because it's cheaper to travel there then? Exactly. <laughs> and we were in Granada, which was is kind of a mountain town, you know. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> we, also you could we, study flamenco music. Yes. And one time we actually hitchhiked. We wanted to go to the coast. We didn't know anything. And this was before like Google was really so much a thing. And we looked at a map and we're like, oh, here's the coast. And we saw this little city called Motril. And we're like, oh, let's go there. So we hitched hike, uh, which took us like maybe two days to get there. We had skateboards with us and backpacks. And we ended up camping and like woke up to sheeps coming up the hill and ate canned food. And it was like this epic journey to get there. Just like crazy. And we got there and it's just a dump. It was just like not a great city. But it was it was still fun. And then we actually got a ride all the way back the next day. And it took like a half an hour. And it was like two <laughs> days to get there, a half hour to get back. And to make things even worse, I think the next day we found out from a friend that a bus ride there and back was like maybe $5. But you had your own little Lord of the Rings experience. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was great. It was great. Those are good times. Those are some of my best memories.
I first realized what being a musician was, I remember there was a show. Milton and I played great. Our set was fine. I, I didn't feel like over the moon about it, but I didn't feel bad about it. And up until then, I I'd, I'd remember coming off stage every time being like just on cloud nine or devastated. There was no in the middle. And I remember this one night, I was kind of concerned that I just didn't really feel anything afterwards. And I was like, what is this? And you're like, there's going to be a lot of nights like this, but the good nights, you're going to appreciate that much more. And it's true. And it's, it's always stuck with me because there's so many nights that we play that are like, what are we doing? <laughs> well, those are fewer and further between these days, aren't they? They are. They are. But I played so many of those nights to get to this fewer and far in between, you know? Yeah. And it's it still happens. I still do working gigs here and there where I'm just like, what? <laughs> you know, guys got to eat. But at the same time, I've been really blessed and I'm really lucky to be where I am. As a band leader yourself, you seem to have no misgivings whatsoever about moving to the side in not going medicine for the people. Not to say you don't get your own creative input, you get your own little section of the show each night, but you're obviously feeling like you're part of something bigger than yourself. I mean, am I talking out my ass here? That seems pretty appropriate. No, no, it's true. So a couple things. One, being the boss kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> when things are good everyone's like okay cool when things are bad it's your fault there's that number one number two i am one of those people that i've never had a problem not being the boss or not being the front man or not being these things if i think that someone could do those things better than me if someone can do a job better than me go for it i know what i can do i know what i'm best at so there's a thing in this band where it's like, you know, I don't think I can do anyone's job better than them. And there's been bands that I've been in before where I'm like, I could do your job better than you. And, and that's difficult, <laughs> you know, because there's this perfectionist in me that just wants the best. I just want to do the best job that I know I can do, whether that's by myself or as a group. And I want the group to do the best job that they can do. And that's just part of how I'm wired. So because of that, it's, it's actually been less stress in my life <laughs> being in charge. 
you know, there are trade-offs too. I'm not in charge of my schedule. Um, there's pros and cons to everything. Sure. Um, and as far as like my ego goes, you know, I, I got to play just the other night. I got to open up for my friend Trevor Hall. Um, and I did a, sh- a short set opening for him and, and that was really cool, man. It was, it was just nice to play my own music and just be heard in that way. But I think what makes it not really even an issue for me is that I can get behind what Naka's saying and I respect him as an artist and, um, it's all good. Like I, I've been in bands before where I'm just like, yeah, this isn't working, you know, but this is a band that is working and I feel good about it. And, uh, there's times, especially a few months on the road where I'm like, man, it would just be so great to play my own, my own tunes for a minute and, and let that creativity out. But, well, you know, I I'm actually have a question about that. And, I mean, you, yeah. since you, since Nako took this last tour break, I've noticed that you've been playing a few gigs on your own again. Is this yeah. something that you're going to try to keep balance with in your life whenever you have time off? Will you be Tim, solo Tim? Yeah, I think for a while there, when it first started playing with the band, like I, I kind of needed to focus on that just to wrap my head around it. But I think I've finally gotten to a place where I'm comfortable with that. And um, I feel like I'm, I'm ready to kind of just be Tim. And, and I've got some new songs coming through that I, I want to record. And if I can find the time <laughs> with being a new dad and, and crazy to her life, um, you know, I'm going to try to put out maybe maybe I won't be able to do uh, a full album, but maybe do singles and start to do some other things. And I think what it is, man, it's everybody has a voice, whether you're a musician or not. And we all have creativity within us. And it's it's important to let that out, because if you don't, something in you dies a little bit. And I took some time off from it because it was needed. But it's like now there's that feeling inside of me, that stomach, that's that little like, OK, yeah, do this. You know, like the urge is there. The urge is there. And so, you know, I'm trying to to balance all of it the best I can, which is difficult. But at the same time, rewarding when you, when you pull it off. I'm a simple man. Life's been good to me. No reason to complain Got everything I need Still this world has a way Bringing good men down Sometimes I lose my faith And hope is nowhere to be found Sometimes I lose my faith But with you
Okay, so now that you're starting to take center stage again in your own way, what have you learned from being in Medicine for the People that now informs you standing in the middle of the stage? Anything? Is, is, oh my God. Are you different now after all that? I'm, <laughs> I'm completely different. We're, we're all, we're all, I mean, how could you not be? Like, we're, we're all hopefully different. you know like that's the point right like we're learning we're growing we're trying things we're failing we're taking a step thinking trying again like i'm not the same person that i was especially soul jive days to even to just a few years ago like um has that gotten you any pushback in reno have you had any of your old soul jive fan base show up and not be pleased with the tim before them you know i I don't think so. I think everybody who's shown up, like it's, it's interesting now because, uh, you know, I'll be going out at the coffee shop or just out and about and somebody will recognize me and they'll be like, aren't you the guy? Like, do you, what do you, and I'm like, yeah, I play music. Cause I just, we just moved back. I was living in LA uh, for a few years and my wife was in Amsterdam and over there it was like, you know, I hardly got recognized. So it was not a big deal, but back here i'm like okay do they know me from soul jive do they know me from Nako? like and it's always such an awkward thing for me because i'm like i don't know what to say and i don't want to be an asshole like <laughs> you know what i mean like like have you uh, ever just tried to tell them you're somebody else entirely oh yeah definitely <laughs> i say you know i have a lot of brothers in this town like you know you might be mistaking me for my brother or you know, even on the road with, with Nako, um, sometimes after shows, like sneaking onto the tour bus, just not in the mood to really go there with people. Like if, if people specifically know me and they're they're appreciative of, of what I do and, and all that, then absolutely I'm going to give them time. But sometimes people are like, are you, are you in the band? <laughs> and to that question, I say, no, I'm, I'm crew. I'm the sound guy, actually. And I'll just sneak off and just get in the bus, you know? Well, I mean... When I saw you guys, what I was struck by was how tribal the vibe was, not just between you and your fellow bandmates, but there were people in the audience who knew you on a first name basis, who were like coming up and hugging you in a city you'd never played before. Yeah. So it's a very, very amazing community in our circle. Like I'm, I'm constantly blown away by it. You know, we'll go to countries we've never been to and people are singing lyrics to 90% of the material. And we're just like, how? We've never been here. And they, and they, they know about us. They know who I am. They know I just had a baby. They know all these things. And I'm just like, what? Like in the beginning, it threw me off a little bit. And now I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, that's our community. They're invested, you know? And I think because Nako is so vulnerable about uh, himself and, and what he goes through, it just creates this inclusiveness where people just want to be a part of this thing and they are a part of this thing and you know music these shows becomes a rallying point it's about the music and it's about the thing but it's it's also not it's a it's about people coming together and basically meeting allies like meeting their community and you know when somebody walks down the street you know and fans have told me this before like if i see someone wearing a nako hat like i'm like oh yeah cool like we're friends like we're good we know each other like there's a a connection there it's exactly it's like an unspoken thing and and that exists within our fan base and that to me is beautiful to realize that we've created a space where people feel comfortable enough and also feel like yeah this is like a group thing you know because it is 
all we're doing is connecting people and hoping that they take that and spread that through their communities. Because let's face it, I mean, in today's society, like connection, we're, we're losing it everywhere we go. Like Charlie Chaplin, um, the dictator speech. Yeah, of course. You know oh, about? I've seen that. That speech is amazing. And it's crazy how relevant it is today's world because he talks about technology and how the inventions of the telephone and the plane have brought us together or should be bringing us together. And in his view at that time, technology was separating us. And fast forward to today, it's like that on steroids. So we need this connection. We crave this connection. And it's cool to, to realize that as we're so disconnected, there still are places that you can find connection. And I feel like music, any kind of music can do that. And our music has been a big rallying point for so many people, which has been really great. Take a little moment and just think about something you're grateful for. What are your next moves? And, and is this shaping those next moves in any way? You know, getting back to the solo thing, like it's been really nice to do some of my own things. I know that I'm, I'm a different performer now than I was before. Uh, this has taught me so much about life and, and also about myself. You know, I don't know if you, you knew this too, but I've suffered from stage fright like most of my life. Like when we did those tours, like I was not ever comfortable on stage. That's insane for the considering first time in who my you life. are. Thanks, man. <laughs> for the first time in my life over the last couple of years, like I'm actually comfortable on stage. I still get nervous. I'll still, you know, get the little butterflies, but the healthy kinds, you know. And I think what shifted for me was 
a couple of things. First of all, it was like every show had to be the end all be all of everything. If I didn't play the best and if people didn't love it the most, like then I just wanted to crawl in a hole and die. Like it meant so much to me. And I remember one day going like, what am I freaking out about? Like if I fuck this up, I get to do this again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and it was as simple as that. It was just like, why do I take this so serious? Like, it's okay. Maybe I can have fun with it. So there was that. Then there was also like realizing also that it, it's not necessarily all about me. We all have an ego in us telling us we need to do things. But the best moments that I've ever experienced in music is when you can get over yourself and the crowd gets over themselves and everybody taps into this thing that's bigger than all of us. And it's not about me and what I'm doing. It's not about them and what they're doing. That's those magic moments that I live for these days. Like, that's what keeps me going. That's why I put up with long hours on buses and flights and all these things, because that's the juice for me. There is so much more that we touched on during our conversation. Uh, we get into how watching Sesame Street is responsible for putting him on the path about how NACO and Medicine for the People are affecting change for indigenous people. Uh, we talk about how his experiences in Cuba and in Brazil shaped him as a musician and as a person, and even about how he sometimes feels possessed by the spirit of his great-grandfather. And more. It's all in part two, so if you haven't subscribed yet, do that at patreon.com slash sethharan, no spaces. All right, we'll close out part one with a song from my album Conduit that features Tim as the entire string section. The song goes through a wide range of dynamics, but whether it's just he and I playing or if there's a wall of guitars, it's Tim's violin that has always made this song for me. So here's Pretending to Heal. See you after the jump, folks. The thing about chatter It always invites play trick of the matter is to find something true to say I yearn for someone who sees life in the same way But I constantly settle for what feels good today me lonely and I try to 
Britain.